Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Eagle Out today. Every week, we have exclusive interviews with your favorite BC student athletes, professors, alumni, and more. Make sure to follow The Heights on Instagram and Facebook to recommend guests you'd like to hear from. You can catch up on the latest headlines on The Heights Facebook and Twitter pages every Monday. Today's exciting because we have two special guests, Dr. Bob Keane, an assistant vice president at Walden Behavioral Care, serving as a part-time faculty member of the Boston College School of Social Work, and Kem Mendes, the clinical director of inpatient units at Walden Behavioral Care and licensed mental health counselor. Dr. Keene and Mr. Mendes recently co-authored an article outlining the importance of adolescents limiting social media usage and shifting the perception of happiness, which was published in the Boston Globe. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Keene and Mr. Mendes. And thank you for having us. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, what first motivated you to research the impact of social media on teenagers and what was your kind of process like um, in that research? So, um, you know, we, uh, we both work on an inpatient psychiatric unit with adolescents and uh, we had the, uh, the opportunity actually to work here through the whole pandemic. So while <clears throat> many people were at home, we were, we were coming into work every day and we were very aware of the number of mental health situations that were developing nationally and the number of people actually needing inpatient care, the number of people trying to get some kind of support. So it became really part of our work to be attuned to what was happening with, uh, certainly with the adolescents that we were working with. And we both actually run an adolescent group every day. And it was through that group that actually the whole idea of social media came to light. Yeah, I think as you know, part of our um, uh, part of our group and, and really just the setting uh, that, you know, we, we work in, uh, many of the kids go from consuming hours and hours and hours of social media every day, um, you know, to coming here and having their access to not only social media, but other kind of screen time, um, you know, uh, limited, uh, just as part of the, you know, um, the programming that we offer, the therapeutic programming groups and, and things like that, uh, quite time consuming. Um, so, you know, kids talk at length in groups uh, about uh, almost the, the detox of social media they go through um, from going uh, from, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day to, you know, one to two hours a day. Um, so it is quite remarkable. You know, and I remember, I remember distinctly, we were in a group one day and we asked the kids to tell us honestly, how many hours they were on social media every day. And, you know, I think we were, we're not naive. We were expecting it to be a high number. And I was anticipating six, eight hours a day. I think I was shocked to hear kids talk about 16 hours a day, 18 hours a day. So they were all double digit numbers. And it became really clear to us that social media had become their conduit to their peers and to any kind of relationships during the pandemic. So as we point out in our article, you know, these kids very suddenly were sent home from school. Um, they isolated in their bedrooms and their contact became social media most of the day and night. And we believe that actually had a very profound impact. Right. Um, obviously, the pandemic was such a big source of that kind of influx of social media um, usage. Um, I guess, like, what 
in in your group running you know the clinicals that you did um what were kind of the main targets that you looked at um from the beginning i know you you looked a lot at screen time and um usage of particular apps but were there any particular trends that you noticed um in those kind of areas yeah well the <clears throat> the biggest trend was that um everyone talked about how depressed it made them and actually how alienated it made them so and that really became the whole genesis of our our idea on contentment or happiness you know the uh, <clears throat> the kids were bombarded every day with images of their peers in incredible states of happiness and elation no one posts bad pictures of themselves no one talks about the downside of life it was always the positive side and the beautiful side and if you're a kid sitting alone in your room and you're disconnected from your peers and you're in isolation, that is a very damning place to be and getting that kind of information. The message is clear. There's something wrong with you. And I think um, it was a product of our time, uh, really something that no one could, uh, could predict the pandemic, you know, kind of coming the way it would interfere with our society and disrupt, disrupt our lives. Um, uh, so, you know, I think kids did what they had access to, which was often their phones and social media, um, and the things that they were seeing on, on there. And, uh, you know, for some, you know, they were able to go and maybe do some exciting things and, uh, you know, uh, and be able to post about that. Um, and what people aren't really talking about are feelings of, loneliness and isolation, depression, anxiety, um, as those things were fueling throughout the, the pandemic, the only access that we really had to the outside world and our, our children uh, was uh, the, you know, these social media posts, which seemed to paint a much different picture from the reality um, of many kids' bedrooms. Right. And I know, obviously, sometimes that can be very beneficial, right, to post about kind of the good things in your life and um, the highlights, as, as you said, um, but also extremely harmful because people are kind of distorting their image of reality, I guess. You were absolutely right. So it distorts their perception of reality. You know, and adolescence is a really important time in life for all of us. And one of the big challenges, developmental challenges that every adolescent faces is trying to define who they are. And they do that in relation to their peers. They don't do it so much in relation to their parents. They pull away from family a little bit, but they really do it in relation to their peers. And this gave them a distorted perception of the, the lives that their peers were living. And that is actually the problem, right? So, you know, we talk a lot about uh, in our article how, how it distorted their sense of what happiness is, what true happiness is in life. And that really gets played out in terms of how they feel about themselves. Yeah. Um, and I know, um, like in particular, like you can, you can place the blame on certain groups. Like you can, I don't know, say it's the teenager's fault for say using social media too much or getting too addicted to it. But also there's kind of the blame to be shifted on, um, the social media sites like TikTok, Instagram, all those big platforms that kind of, um, are designed to draw teenagers in, um, what do you think like kind of the solution is in the long run? Is it kind of the fault of teenagers to kind of limit their own self-use 
of social media or is it really those companies that should be um, kind of regulated more to prevent excessive screen time? Well, that's a complicated yeah. one. <laughs> you know, it's a think, great question. <laughs> no, it's a great question. We, we actually are working on a second article, which kind of starts to go into these areas because I think everyone, we, we had just a tremendous response mm -hmm. from that article. And it really seemed like it was a lightning rod issue. Everyone seems to recognize the problem. No one quite knows what to do about it. Um, you know, and I think we really shy away in the article from going after the social media sites. I, I actually really value in this country, you know, our freedom of speech, our freedom of press. And I'm not sure regulating that is something uh, would be a productive road to go down. Uh, I'm not sure you can do that, to be honest with you. Now, that being said, you know, everyone feels that they had a stake in this. And we were ta just talking today, you know, parents that we've talked to actually feel terribly about, you know, their inability to control their kids' social media use. And what we were talking about is how quickly this whole phenomenon has happened. So, you know, it's been a speeding train. Parents had no chance to intervene. They had no chance even to understand the magnitude of it. So I think it really is about working individually with kids around how to kind of manage it yourselves, as well as, you know, <clears throat> we, we talk a lot about building relationship time. It's really important in families, we think, for rules to be set up that really reinforce some time when you're not on social media. So the classic example would be at mealtime, there are no devices on the table. In some families, when you go to bed at night, you turn your device off. If you're driving the car, your parents are driving you somewhere. You're not on a device, you're talking to a parent, that sort of thing. So really encouraging families to think about special relationship time. They will kind of balance what's happening with social media exposure. Yeah, and I, you know, I think there's, um, you know, there's probably uh, blame on all parts, right? Everybody kind of has uh, uh, some, some blame in this. Um, and, you know, we're trained as therapists, so we, we treat the individual, um, and, and part of that is, you know, advocating, uh, uh you know, for, for systemic and, and societal change, but often what our work looks like is working within the confines that is reality for someone right now. Um, you know, and everything that, you know, that Dr. Bob is describing, um, you know, is, uh, you know, the things that we're, uh, working with, you know, not only um, adolescents, but adults, uh, parents, um, you know, we're trying to kind of figure this, uh, this issue out. Um, but it was clear, you know, there, there is um, uh, this, this issue resonates with a lot of people, whether you're on the receiving end of it, or you have a child that has uh, problematic um, social media use. Um, and uh, I mean, it, it is quite astounding. Um, you know, we in, in the last 15 years, how we, far we've come in terms of uh, access to social media uh, in the phone in our pocket versus, you know, the desktop sitting at our homes. Um, you know, it, it's been a really miraculous uh, um, shift. So we've heard two really strong responses actually from parents. A lot of parents say, um, just don't give kids phones. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of a, a, a go-to initial response. We actually don't think that works. Um, I think if you don't give your child a, a phone or access to a social media, uh, to a device at a certain point, um, 
you, you essentially take away their route of communicating with their peers and they will then be isolated as a result of that. So, you know, gone are the days where we had the kitchen phone on the wall and people were aware of communication coming in and out. And we're just in a very different world. Not, not engaging really is not an option for a kid. Um, you know, and the second is really to try to monitor it. And I mean, I'll share with you as a parent, I think that's a bit of fool's gold, you know. These things are developing so quickly that as we try to put precautions in, workarounds are developing and can be shared very quickly between these kids. So, you know, the, the best of intentions are really not met there. I think it's much more of a broad kind of approach, really trying to instill with someone, with a kid at early age, the power of the device. A little bit like, you know, it's it's like fire. You know, we can't make it burn hotter or cooler. It's just going to burn hot and we can't make it not spread. We have to contain it. So really trying to create some kind of appreciation for the power that these devices have. And, and really to be very upfront with kids about what the risks and the dangers are, because we cannot prevent access to those. That That's really, yeah, that's really good advice. Um, I know it's, it's often pretty difficult to kind of maintain that level of monitoring, as you said, because um, obviously, you know, as, you know, kids use their, or teenagers use their phones more in high school, like they're less, you know, wanting to have their parents kind of look over their shoulder and look look at what they're doing. So um, there's definitely kind of a gray area, which is important to, to factor in, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and you can almost think about it like a, like a myth, right? To think that, you know, you're going to be able to supervise everything uh, that, you know, you say your child does on their uh, on their social media or their phone. Or, um, you know, uh, back when I was a kid, you know, we used to uh, climb out of our window. Right. And, you know, you go off. And, uh, but um, kids aren't doing that anymore uh, because they have they're connected right through the device in their pocket. Um, and uh, and they'll find workarounds for any you know, or for many of, of the things that we try to implement. You know, the other thing just to, I think we should just put on the table is a huge driver all of this is anxiety. And, you know, I, I, think, I think we're an anxious society. I think our society is getting more anxious by the day. I think the pandemic blew the lid off anxiety, particularly for these kids. And, and they talk a lot about that. They talk about being afraid of things they didn't even know what they were afraid of. It was just generalized fear. You can see that today, actually, with the people that are still in their homes and unable to reconnect to society. So in many respects, social media, these platforms reduce anxiety. You know, they, they actually give them something to do and they create this illusion that they're connected even in their fear. So we really like, we have to work with kids. We work with kids a lot around ways to manage anxiety that are healthy for them. And part of that is just recognizing the magnitude of the anxiety that people are living with every day. Right, as you said, that's so important. And I know you mentioned your role as therapist as well. Um, what what would you say is kind of the, the real benefit of therapy? I know um, obviously it's implied, but, um, and it's being, talked about and used so much more um, in today's society, but what would you specifically target for, say, large media consum consumption, um, kind of using your, your, our 
therapist abilities to kind of help kids um, and those in need of kind of reducing it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think um, uh, so like I mentioned, we're really looking at uh, treating the person. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and it all starts very simply, um, you know, often in therapy, uh, you know, you may have these aha moments or feel like you understand something in a way that maybe you hadn't understood before, but they're oftentimes very simplistic concepts. Uh, maybe you hear them at the right time from the right person in the right tone of voice um, that kind of makes you consider them in a different way. Um, but it starts very simply, and that's first with awareness. We have to be aware that uh, the social media and uh, you know the screen time that we're consuming, um, and, and really be real about that. Is it too much? Is it not enough? Um, and uh, you know, the more that we can develop awareness into uh, how much of our time. Time, you know, we're putting into these devices and, uh, you know, these platforms, um, you know, then we can start to build out from there in terms of, you know, what, what is the need that uh, these um, platforms are filling for you? And are they filling them effectively or not? Um, you know, I think the, uh, the, the, the benefit to social media is that um, unlike anything in our history uh, before, it can connect humans in an instant. Uh, from all over the globe. Uh, and oftentimes people, you don't even have their, um, you know, you just have their name, not, not their address or their phone number. So ne never in the world uh, have we seen this. Um, so kind of maintaining those connections are, are very important, but it does uh, kind of contribute to what I might consider this artificial connectedness that we have. You know, we're not sitting with one another anymore. We're not talking to one another uh, anymore in a conversation face to face. Um, it's oftentimes through a text or through, you know, a call. Um, and I think what a lot of the clients that I speak with, they say it's just not the same as being in the room with one another. It just isn't as powerful. Um, you know, so, uh, so it's very effective at connecting people, but it really falls short of the kind of connection that we need as humans. So I gotta, I, I agree. And I, I would add, you know, therapy is relational. So there's nothing quite like sitting with another person and really talking about serious, real things and being able to read what's happening in that relationship. So it can be a very powerful experience. And I think for adolescents particularly, you know, um, the, the opportunity sometimes to have those discussion with parents is a diminished return. So to be able to have, and it doesn't have to be a therapist, but to be able to have an adult who actually, you know, really has their best interests at heart and can actually talk with them is, it's actually priceless. Um, now, in just my own little commercial about therapy, um, I think it's a great thing. I, I think it's really contingent on the therapist and not all therapists are good. So I always tell you know parents that I'm working with and kids too that you know it's a great gift, um, but you should really make sure it works for you. And the big issue that we always look with with kids is around fit. Is this someone that they really feel uh, they have a, a fit with a relationship with that they can move forward? And if after a few sessions that hasn't developed, they can't feel it, it's probably time to try someone different. 
not all therapists are the same and fit is very different for every person. And the other, you know, uh, kind of adding to that, um, do you feel like this person can help you? Um, you know, and that in and of itself, uh, you know, is, is an important tidbit, uh, you know, for effective therapy is, is feeling like the person that you're meeting with can help you. Right. Those are, those are such important, um, kind of things that you talk about. Um, obviously like real connection is so kind of valued, but also kind of like a lost art these days because mm -hmm. of social media and because of just media consumption in general. But, um, um, yeah, I guess back to your, uh, article, um, I know you talked about kind of pursuing contentment rather than an unattainable form of happiness. Um, how do you, how would, you suggest can kind of pursuing um, being content rather than kind of always being happy or always kind of chasing the next kind of high, I guess. So, uh, so I love the word contentment, by the way. Um, and, you know, happiness is interesting, right? So we're, I think we're kind of indoctrinated in this country to first of all, believing we should be happy all the time. Um, and then we actually are consumers. We're, we're told what will make us happy. So if you have this, you'll be happy. If you look this way, you'll be happy on, on and on. And I, I think contentment kind of goes above happiness. It's really asking yourself, what is it that you need in a moment to feel a moment of, of peace? And that's often not material things. So, you know, in the article we talk about, you know, it's, it's sitting next to the couch and realizing, you know, you love the person that's there or the satisfaction of creating or completing a small task, something like that. But it really, contentment is an awareness that a person is able to develop for, some, for an experience that most of us have many times a day. And it really is being able just to say, whoa, wait a minute, I, I'm content right now. It's okay. You know, I feel good about this moment. And, you know, kind of the, the theory, if you will, is in moments of contentment will lead to a sense of happiness that we're kind of subjected to in mass marketing in this country. That's that's really not happiness. That's that's rampant consumerism. And actually people I think are miserable sometimes as a result of that. Yeah, I'd say my my thought uh, around it, kind of in addition to that is, um, you know, contentment is also just about being real, uh, knowing that uh, life sometimes is dull Sometimes there's boring parts where we have to wait for things, um, and uh, and and that's okay. That that's just merely life, uh, and there's actually something to appreciate in that. Um, oftentimes, I, I think now, you know, I'm standing in the grocery line. I look over, and all down the grocery line, there are people on their phones. Right? Maybe they have to wait for sixty seconds, uh, and I feel myself that same impulse, kind of go for my phone. Uh, because I, I have to wait for something. There's not that instantaneous gratification. And contentment is merely being aware of that, um, that not everything uh, will bring us uh, gratification and really gratification that's in our face that we notice. Um, sometimes contentment, sometimes you actually have to look for, um, you know, the, the silver linings and things, or you have to look for the small bits of um, appreciation for whatever that might be. Yeah. That, that's really great advice. I know it's so hard to kind of bridge the gap between using social media and being real, as he said. Um, so yeah, I guess 
that's that's really good advice i've incorporated as well after reading the article so it's it's good to know um and i guess yeah uh, to end off um i guess for any i know you you've talked about it a bit um what would you say is kind of the best advice to um individuals hoping to kind of pursue that contentment um and balance social media with um staying off it and um kind of being being real i guess so I would say the operative word there is balance. So I think we we absolutely think social media is part of our our life today, and it will increase. Um, it's about creating a balance between times on a device and times not on the device, <clears throat> and it really is about looking for those relational moments with people um, that actually that's what gives us meaning in life. You know, that is really what is fulfilling. So being open to that, really looking for that. And I think recognizing the sense of contentment in those moments. Um, you know, and, and people have to figure out for themselves what works best. Some people do really well with rules. You know, after this hour, I'm not going to use this device. But you got to figure it out, what works for you. I don't think one size fits all by any means. But it's really important, I think, to balance what you're doing on social media and really look for relationship moments uh, in your family, with your peers, uh, with, with people in life. Even, I love the, I actually love the grocery store thing. You know, wouldn't it be nice to talk to the person standing next to you? You know, maybe being open to that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think balance is, is really the operative word. Um, and not being fooled into thinking that the connection that you're getting in a virtual space is of the same value uh, as, uh, you know, a face-to-face -face conversation, you know, with, with uh, you know, either an acquaintance or someone you love. Um, those are really, really important moments uh, that over the light, you know, evolution of humans, we've only had access to. It's really only been the last generation or so that we've been living in this increasingly virtual world. Um, so don't mistake the two. Yeah, well, that's all I have. So thank you so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate you uh, kind of sharing your wisdom and I definitely learned a lot myself. So thank you, I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. We yeah, thanks it. here. All right, take care.